From WBOI Studios in Fort Wayne, this is the I Am Immigrant, and I am Ahmed Abdelmajid. I am a Palestinian immigrant who has been donning the title of immigrant for the past 24 years of my life. I am interested in conversations around the immigrant experience, conversation that we seem to be not having or we seem to be not knowing how to have. For this podcast series, I'm hoping that we have conversations with different immigrants about all that it entails to be an immigrant. Hi everyone, uh, Ahmed Abdelmajid here. I'm the host and creator of the I in Immigrant. And I'm Katie Anderson, and I help produce The Eye and Immigrant. And we have a brand new episode for you today. We're featuring Irene Paxia, and I'm sure some of our listeners have heard her name before. Can you tell us a little bit about her, Ahmed? Irene is, uh, I think, a known name in our Fort Wayne community. She is uh, director of the Amani Family Services. She's well involved with the immigrant refugee community, but she herself, and an immigrant, uh, yet not an immigrant too, as we will hear from her story, because she's has the American citizenship at birth, but also born and raised in Italy. And her, you know, growing up with these two identities and then moving to the United States and her experiences, um, especially as a, you know, as you'll hear in the conversation that she's, she's white, she is blue eyed or green eyed, I don't remember exactly, but, you know, doesn't strike you as an immigrant from first look. Let's take a listen back to your conversation with Irene. Today we have uh, Irene Paxia. Uh, Irene, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me, Ahmed. When I called you to invite you to the show, you had the choice to say no, but you said yes, and we appreciate that, and you're here with us today. But why did you agree to be on our show? Well, it certainly helps that I have known you for a while, so the request didn't come from a complete stranger. So that allowed me to overcome a lot of the obvious questions about, you know, how does he speak about diversity? How does he speak about immigrants and refugees? So it made it easy for me to say yes. And I appreciate the work that you've done in this community. Well, again, we appreciate you being with us today. So one of the questions that we often get, and you have that accent that kind of raises the flag. What accent? We're, <laughs> we're, um, I don't know. How, how do people react to your accent? Do you get a, do you get a, oh, that's a pretty accent. Where are you from? Or where are you from? So, I mean, the thing is that I actually, as you know me, I don't really look any uh, different than, um, you know, the most common uh, white uh, female <laughs> in America. I just, yeah. I'm white, so uh, most people, if they don't know me, do not expect me to speak with an accent. Uh-huh. So a lot of times, if I'm in public events or say at the mall or the grocery store, I'm very quiet and then suddenly I have to say maybe a few words here and there and to communicate and what have you. And I always have eyebrows going up and surprised looks and curious looks. I think over time, my accent has adjusted enough that I don't get a lot of immediate questions. It used to be, for whatever reason, that 10 years ago or so, people would immediately ask me, oh, where are you from? You're from Italy. And oh, that's so beautiful. And do you miss your family? 
And at first it was kind of nice, then it kind of got a little old. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're still going to ask a few questions similar to that. That's but it's, okay. uh, there's, there's a method to our madness on this podcast. Uh, you mentioned 10 years ago. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey to the United States and how long have you lived in Italy and how long have you been in the U.S.? And just a little bit of background. Yeah, so I have. I would like to start with saying that I've had a lot of opportunities and that my life journey is certainly easier than other journeys that I've heard of immigrants or people coming from other countries to America. Mm-hmm. Um, I was born with dual citizenship in Italy, outside of Venice, Italy, from a, um Italian father, an American mother, uh-huh. and I have two siblings. And my mother chose not to speak English to me growing up. And long story short, I've, I had to learn Italian, and I really wasn't speaking English. And I felt as if something was missing in my life. I got to visit my American relatives exactly three times in my early years until my 20s. So I saw my grandparents three times in the U.S. or so. Once when I was five, once when I was 15, and one when I was, once when I was 20. You know, when I turned 20, I've always been a bit adventurous and ambitious, so I decided to go to the U.S. on my own for a month to just see what would happen. And so I stayed with a friend in Seattle, and that was a good experience. And then I went back to Italy, and I really got the travel, um, you know, a kind of a... Travel a, bug. Travel bug, <laughs> that's what they call it. So, and I've done other travels. So I decided to say, hey, I have a great opportunity. I, I can travel easily. Many people go to America and go through immense you know, difficulties and challenges to to get their documentation. And here I am. So let's mm-hmm. do it. So I um, applied for a scholarship to IU Bloomington and was able to study there for a year. Um, why Bloomington? Um, there was a list of universities to choose from. I have no connection in Bloomington. All my relatives were in uh, Washington State, some in Texas and New Mexico. Uh, my professor in Italy said, hey, IU is a really good campus. And I said, okay. And so it actually is a, an amazing campus, lots of really high quality uh, studying opportunities. So I finished my studies in international studies there and met my husband, Andrew. So that's um, pretty much the story. So you've spent most of your life in the United States in Indiana between Bloomington and Fort Wayne now? Yeah. So once I moved to, well, I was uh, here at IU for um a year, then I moved back to finish my degree, and uh, Andrew followed me and met my family, and then we moved here together, I think in 2005, in fact, September 13 of 2005, wow. I exactly <laughs> <when>. <laughs> Yeah, that, that date is usually, the date of arrival, or the, the move to the U.S. is usually etched in everybody's memory. You said you were born with dual citizenship, mm-hmm. and I'm interested to know a little more about, did that impact how you identify yourself so as an Italian growing up in Italy Mm -hmm. did you know that you're also American or when you moved to the United Mm -hmm. States having the history that you've had in Italy Mm -hmm. so how do you identify yourself Uh, for a while I did not know that I was um, that I had this special opportunity I did not understand it as a child you know you just Mm -hmm. what you have in front of you is just what you get. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't ask many questions. And I 
did not hear my mother's accent, which apparently, you know, she has a pretty strong American accent. And until my uh, teen years and my friends started to point out that perhaps she had an accent. So she has spent most of her life in Italy and still people at the grocery store ask her, how long have you been <laughs> so, in so Italy? So you mean as a kid, you didn't make fun of your mom? Because my kids, you know, at six year old, they're like <laughs> making fun of the way I pronounce some words. No, <laughs> no. You didn't pick up on it. And I did, not, okay. I did not catch that. And <laughs> I was, you know, it was funny. I didn't. So yes, definitely once I did, I, I realized that, especially once I started traveling overseas and I was five and then consequently I was 12 years old or so, I realized that, A, I had uh, relatives that spoke to me in a language that I couldn't understand. So when they call me every year, I couldn't mm. understand happy birthday uh, in English. And I just, you know, <laughs> held the phone nicely. And all I could say was, thank you, thank you, thank you. And um, then over time, like I said, I really got to develop a passion for languages. I started like, studying French and then English, you know, as some basic level. Uh, I did embark into international studies. I did have a passion for understanding the world. Um, and then I say two things, two events impacted that development of a passion. One, uh, when I was uh, in high school, I remember uh, hearing the helicopters and uh, seeing army vehicles that were traveling towards Bosnia and seeing the images on TV of the war going on so close to us because we share a border in Italy and I'm, I was um, on the north side. So mm. very close. So hearing the sound of the war, um, knowing that neighbors just not too far from us were experiencing the horror of uh, mass uh, killings, it was very impactful to me. And even seeing how the U.S. you know, was portrayed and how U.S. was involved in uh, the diplomacy at that point, that was very, very impactful. And the second was when I had the opportunity to go on a trip to Sub-Saharan Africa in uh, the Congo and Uganda. And very unprepared, I uh, witnessed some parts, uh, effects of war uh, in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Mm -hmm. And because of my language abilities, I was interpreting at a SIP peace symposium, both in French and English and Italian, and um, very young, um, I think I was 20, I heard some things that I, like I said, I did not know how to interpret, but I was asked repeatedly for help on the streets from students at the university, you know, please bring our story back, please bring me to Italy, please, would you marry me? <laughs> so a lot of different uh, conversations I was not ready to have, and I decided to... Um, not try to be totally overwhelmed by the experience, but rather do what I could, which has been my mantra, uh, pretty much do what I can to, mm -hmm. you know, use my talents. There's some spiritual belief there too, but, you know, do what I can with my talents to do what I can for the better. And uh, the Congo, French is the predominant language, so you were able to communicate over there a yeah. little more uh, easily using your French language skills. So obviously your experiences have shaped who you are today. And um, I know we didn't really introduce the role that you play, but can you give us a little bit about uh, what is it that you do right now and how does that relate to your background and journey? Right. So like many other people, I did not expect by moving to Fort Wayne, Indiana, that I would really have the chance to 
uh, be faced with a lot of um, rewarding international experience uh, or that I would meet a lot of people that were touched by international events. And I was wrong. So I just did a massive um, resume <laughs> mail. I, I sent my resume out and mm. uh, it, my resume was caught by the Red Cross. So I spent the first seven years here working in the international services for the Red Cross locally. And I had some tremendous experience nationwide with the Red Cross, which is a wonderful organization. And then uh, later on, I had the chance to work with the city of Fort Wayne. And then right now, I've been working with an organization that's called Amani Family Services, where I served as the director, the executive director overseeing uh, a mission that impacts uh, families who are from all over the world. With your... uh the people that you meet through your personal experiences and through your your work with Amani, Amani, from my understanding, uh, deals with refugees and immigrants, uh, resettlement and more integration in the community rather than legal paperwork. Am I correct in that assumption? Or uh, yeah, we do not um, really uh, do basic services uh, or resettlement per se in terms of finding. Um, apartments for people to live in or meeting them at the airport, which is more of the essential services of Catholic charities. Uh We come into place, unfortunately, mostly when something has gone wrong in their resettlement or integration process. So Uh rather as a result that maybe um, the immigrant or refugee families experiencing a crime in the U.S., Mm. And so needing um, advocacy or criminal justice um, system education. So we help them navigate the system, helping with language uh, and advocacy and counseling. And or we work with children or abused uh, in immigrant refugee families. And we do a lot of more and more, a lot of prevention around still safety and parenting skills. Well, thank you uh, so much for the great work that you do and that Amani Services does in our community. I'm I'm sure it's uh, well appreciated and well needed. When you think about your personal experience immigrating, I know technically you're not an immigrant being born with a a U.S. citizenship, but having lived in Italy and then moving to the United States and experiencing the, uh, the transition from your culture of birth to and you know the culture where you grew up to a new culture um i'm interested in in a couple of things one is uh what was a big misconception that you've had about the united states coming here when when you think about your own personal experience as uh, someone who moved from you know a, a place of where you were born and raised and coming to the United States and the stories that you hear from other immigrants that you've met or um, that you work with, um, do you compare and contrast your experience to theirs and do you find yours drastically different or are there commonalities that you can comment on or discuss? So first of all, we don't have, in general, a lot of opportunities to discuss in depth. Uh, we experience uh, moving, uh, we experience embracing or getting to know, being affected by a new culture. Mm-hmm. That's something that we don't do often. 
which is part of the reason like why this show is so important and unique. We are so much under pressure to succeed, I think, uh, to make things work for us. And that's my experience. And that's been, I say, the experience of most of the people I've met. So I can speak maybe with more of an I statement. I have experienced a drive to succeed, a drive to make things work. Um, I worked hard, sometimes three, four jobs at a time, um, some more prestigious than others. Um, so that we, you know, that part of me that reflects over the experience of having changed from one country to the other just sits in a part of my brain that I don't get to explore very often. It's almost too much. Mm-hmm. Right, because it makes me very vulnerable. One of the questions that I repeatedly have to answer is, "Is this where I'm going to be? Is this my home?" Yeah. And you know, because I've shared with you before that it's not even after 15 years, or yeah, almost 15 years, having been here, that I don't have an answer. I still keep myself in two different places at the same time. Mm-hmm. And when I go visit my family, I do feel like I am more comfortable many in many ways in Italy than I am here. I can, you know, sort of take a big breath and be, ah, this is, I don't have to explain why I'm different, why I sound different. I don't have to explain why I don't feel comfortable around the food that I'm eating. Well, Italy food is pretty good. Um, it's not a misconception. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. You, you didn't bring us a plate. So you can't judge that. <laughs> it, right? it, it is really, really good. <laughs> Although my daughter is um, now stating that Pizza Hut um, pizza may be better. But yeah, you know, th- th- there's not a lot of opportunities. I don't know if I answered the question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned the, the drive to succeed. Where, where mm-hmm. do you think that's coming from? And I want to talk about that with the backdrop that unfortunately in in our discourse or rhetoric more recently that the immigrant is painted as someone who's trying to abuse a generous system or a generous population and if you really spend any time with immigrants or look into uh, immigrants contribution to the United States you you'd realize that that's not the case. I mean, it's not that 100% of everyone who comes here is working hard or striving to work hard, but the majority, the overwhelming majority, are people who are driven to make a better life for themselves here. So where do you think that's coming from? Is it to try and negate stereotypes, or is it that, you know, personal, or where where does that come from? Well, I most of the time, I don't really care about what people think, so now my I don't base my life on what other people, um, you know, what the stereotypes may be. Um, I think so... Look, I didn't leave my family, my parents, my siblings, uh, my home, my place of comfort so that I could have an easy life. I didn't do it. It was not an easy step to take. It Mm -hmm. was a major, major step. Uh, and I came alone, right? So I did not have my my immediate family with me. Italian is not a widely spoken language. There really isn't, uh, there aren't very many people that can speak it here, especially for when Indiana. If I wanted to 
utilize this opportunity, I had to work hard. Mm-hmm. Part of it is a drive so that I wouldn't disappoint myself, you know. I work hard. I've always done that. It's just who I am. And then certainly I realized after time, after a while, that my parents, you know, are paying attention. My family is paying attention. So I know this is um, a painful distance mm-hmm. and how easier it is for family from overseas to be happy for you if you do well yeah. versus knowing that you know you're struggling so I didn't know necessarily or didn't think of this throughout the years but I realized over time that when and if I did have struggles because I did have struggles like anybody um, that one of the immediate uh, repercussions were my family feeling strongly about that distance again and mm-hmm. uh, and me missing. So if I had to make it work, I had to work hard. Yeah, there's almost a sense of you don't want to let them down. Right. If you're right. moving all the way, you know, right. across mile, hundreds or thousands of miles to a whole new place, yeah. uh, Something's got to come out of it. So as a result, a you put up a mask, right? Yeah. So you, you continuously put up a mask, even with your family, because, mm-hmm. I mean, anything overseas, everything that you mentioned might sound like a, any small challenge may sound like a big deal all of a sudden. Yeah. So, you know, if they lived here, would I let them know if my car is broken? Sure. But do I want to bother them every day with every little challenge, you know, a high medical bill or the fact that I hit a mailbox in my car (laughs) or, you know, whatever the situation or the fact that my daughter is sick today, which she is. Mm. Uh, If they lived here, I would. But is it really worth for me sending a message to them? I would do it. And sometimes I do because um, that means a lot to me to feel family around. But at the same time, uh, you put up a mask because Mm -hmm. it's not worth necessarily depicting every challenge with the risk of them worrying about you. Yeah. And sometimes I don't think that they would be able to kind of fully comprehend the challenge that you're going through here, even Something as simple as when I was in a, you know, a college student, university student and struggling with a paper or struggling in a class <laughs> or what have you. And, you know, and my parents, they just finished high school. But on top of that, to to say that I'm unable to focus on an assignment because of X, Y and Z, right. you know, because of the stress or that stress that mm-hmm. to them is a completely foreign concept. Yeah. No, I, I can fully appreciate and understand do you find it easy or difficult to make friends here the same way that you made them in Italy where you grew up? I have a hard time answering that question because remember I came here in my mid-20s and so I'm certainly not the same person that I was when I first uh, moved to the United States. I've grown into a <laughs> more mature adults and so I don't have I don't find it difficult to make friends now. I find it difficult to make friends when I was uh, more when I was in college at IU. Mm-hmm. And perhaps because at that point really I felt like a foreigner. The longer I live here, the less difficult it is. And I also have to say not a stereotype, but I believe in it. Americans are friendly. 
I do find that there is a kindness that transpires here for the most part mm-hmm. in um, most of the people that I meet. Something that sometimes is genuine, sometimes is less genuine, but it certainly helps to feel welcome when uh, there's a lot of smiling and there's a lot of kind words. Mm-hmm. And uh, definitely in the Midwest and the experience that I have had here has been, um, for the most part, very positive. So I felt uh, welcomed. It's also true that I don't share my my personal struggles as often. Mm-hmm. And so where do I find comfort? Where do I find friendship? Maybe some of my deeper relationships or friendships are with those who have had similar struggles mm-hmm. or have had similar experiences. And so where not a lot of words are needed to explain, you know, what cultural shock may be like. I asked the question because when I was in college, I, I moved away from where I was Uh, born and raised at 18 after high school coming to college and you know a lot of the interactions there was a lot of pop culture references that (laughs) I just completely missed out on because I didn't grow up in the culture and uh, unable to kind of engage in the conversation Mm -hmm. is is one aspect of it and then exactly the the experiences that I've had and I don't want to make it sound like oh my god I had such a struggle and a hard life and tough and whatever Mm -hmm. but it's the emotional aspect of everything is new to you and Mm -hmm. for me 23 24 years later uh, it's gotten easier but it's still there it's Mm -hmm. still in the back of your mind so I'm, I'm interested does the question of home and especially now with your two beautiful children and as they're growing up, does that become more and more difficult for you? Do you think about, is home Italy? Is home here? Do I want my kids growing there, growing up here? Do, do these questions cross your mind? Continuously. Andrew, my husband, uh, made fun of me. We just came back from Italy and he said, you know, something happens to you. You may not realize that by the second or third day we're in Italy, you start talking about how you're going to make it back here. So I start planning my way back. And it's certainly true. All of my friends and co-workers, it's not a mystery that I've been planning my way back. Even when I interview for my job, I said, you know, I may only be here for a year and now almost five years later. I am here still. Uh, You know, what is most difficult, Ahmed, is you mentioned family. There are values that I appreciate about the Italian culture that I miss tremendously. I don't want to compare. Mm -hmm. I don't, I I can't, I don't think I'm even entitled to necessarily, but I can tell you my experience in, in Italian culture and going as often as I can. My daughter is six, she's been there five times. The family, sense of family, uh, the relationships that my parents, that they have with my children, even with such occasional trips once a year or so. The ability to walk to places, the mm-hmm. culture about that we have for quality, healthy food, the amount of time that we like to spend in Italy with conversing with one another, which people might misconstrue as arguing with one another. It's really talking about passionately about things. And the fact that we don't portray ourselves necessarily with lots of smiles. Italians tend to be pretty, I say, on the surface, genuine as compared as what I have observed, perhaps, you know, Mm -hmm. pick the 
uh, I server, the, the waitress, norm, yeah. uh, waiter. It's the norms of right. different to different cultures. So yeah. people may may come across as rude, or they may be having a bad day. They will sort of let you know in Italy for mm-hmm. the most part. And so there's a that's where I belong. That's where I grew up with. So I miss that. And then more practically, um, and I'll try to you know keep it together as as uh, my parents age my dad is 82 you know my mom is a few years younger statistically speaking you know i make an account in my head okay i could be back and be closer for the next five years and what would happen you know whatever i don't want to count mm-hmm. the days but it is a toll on my soul mm-hmm. and i um i feel very heavy about it All of this is a tremendous, <laughs> difficult and, thing to experience. And, Even, and that's yeah. a daily experience. It's not, oh, I have a free time now. I'm going to oh, reminisce on home or reminisce on family. Yeah. It's it's almost a, a daily thought that right. crosses your mind. I mean, I, I can definitely uh, relate. I have a little bit of a different story being Palestinian and living as a, as a resident in Qatar where I was uh, born and raised. But... My uh, brother and my sister who live in Michigan and I, we moved my parents four or five years ago exactly for that reason, for them aging and us wanting to be a little closer. But I'm still three hours away from them. And it's not not an easy thing to be the sandwich generation as we are, you know, trying to take care of our parents and and, uh, take care of our children, Uh, which is something I think that gets missed a lot by people that when you when you're torn between two worlds or I liken it to walking a tight rope between a place where there's all this connection and foundation of who you are and your character and a place that you're growing into and your kids are growing into um, and we may put on the uh, the professional stoic face the well-adjusted face and um, miss all the emotions that go behind it. Um, so I, I want to ask a little more of a, an explicit and direct question. You, you've alluded to that in our early on in our conversation, that you are white, um, blue-eyed, and if you don't speak, people won't pick up on the fact that you're born and raised here. Mm-hmm. And I've had that comment a lot. I'm bluish, greenish eye, fair skin to a lot of people. I don't look the uh, the typical Arab or what people would imagine Uh, yeah. an Arabic-looking person would be. So, and then with that and a slight accent and whatever, I get the the comment of, oh, Ahmed, you're typically white, which which comes from a well-intended place. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, there, that basically I, I should be just able to just go with the flow as everybody else and live my life and have a good career and a family and everything and Why are you concerning yourselves with all that? And mm-hmm. I liken it to my friends who are darker skinned, either Mexican or mm-hmm. Yemeni or from Ghana or from Chad or Sudan, you know, that there is that almost immediate, um, oh, they're not from here. Mm-hmm. You know, even they may be born and raised in the United States, but just because the name sounds a little different and they mm-hmm. look different, quote unquote, different. It almost puts a little bit of a farther distance between me and others in the sense that they can't relate to my experiences where I look like the majority. 
so I've been here for about 23 years and, um, you know, again, I, in, in the uh, Canada for yeah. three or four and then 20 or since 2000 in the U.S. I feel like I'm also uh, even within the communities here, within the Arab community or the Muslim community, I'm a little bit of an outsider. Mm-hmm. And within the uh, majority or the you know, it, it, according to the U.S. Census, I fall in the white category, and within the white category, I, I can't relate or they can't relate to me. And it's kind of, do you feel a sense of isolation? And I ask you that mm-hmm. because you're Italian, fair-skinned, and everything. Mm-hmm. Well, a quick answer is there isn't an Italian community for me to compare to. So I feel isolated because they're not. there's not a uh, Italian church for me to go to or an Italian festival for me to go to uh-huh. or anybody Italian to talk to on a regular basis. With no offense to my friends who have uh, moved uh, from Italy when they were very young and no longer speak the language or no offense with those individuals who, had, who were born in uh, in the United States and mm-hmm. are either second or you know third generation. There is a connection, a deep connection with them, but it's not quite the same experience that I've had. I've been, spent most of my life overseas. So I don't have that same experience. I've been the recipient of comments such as, you don't look Italian, your husband looks more Italian than you do, which is true, quote unquote, I mean, because yeah. he has dark uh, complexion and just is, it looks more Italian if you have a, a certain, image a certain idea what an Italian, what an Italian might look like. <laughs> we are very Italians. Something funny or interesting about Italian history is that there's about 60 million Italians living in the peninsula. And then uh, there's about the same amount of Italians living outside of the country. Mm. So we are a uh, people of uh, immigrants and refugees. And historically, we have come in big waves to the United States for whatever reason. Italians from the north tend to tend to move to South America, and an Italian from the south of Italy tend to move to North America. So as a result, what Americans, uh, mm-hmm. and this is more from the American perspective, think of as a typical Italian is the south, southern Italian. Which is darker skin. Which is darker skin. Darker, yeah, yeah. Now, to make it more complicated, my dad is actually Sicilian, so I do have, <laughs> I'm half Sicilian, which is the... <laughs> You can go more south than that in Italy, being that that's the island at, uh, in front of the boot. Uh, and I love Sicily and Sicilian culture. But my mother, like I said, it was American. Her root is uh, in Scandinavian. So that's, I guess, where some of my complexion comes from. American perspective is often about Italians, often based on their experience of Italian-American food and Italian-American people who mostly came from the south of Italy and spoke uh, with their hands and spoke uh, with a different accent than maybe I have. Sometimes people say, are you Russian? Mm. So that's that's interesting. From an Italian perspective, I also get that because, again, uh, those individuals who have been here a long time and who have been in, also in touch with Italian-American culture most of their life, their experience is also influenced by Southern Italian uh, culture and or you know food and so they look at me and also when they get to be pretty close to me that they say things like you know you don't really look Italian and <laughs> I don't know how to take that um, you know whatever I don't take paint you know take too much attention to that what I don't the only times that I felt uncomfortable with that discourse has been one time in particular I I had some groups of friends 
that were putting together a special event. They were asking people who were uh, foreign-born to go and present about their country of origin. And they were in the middle of planning. They were having a hard time. That This is maybe 10 years ago, so mm-hmm. um, I think yeah, maybe we worked on together. But they were having a hard time finding people or somebody, you know, decided not to go at the last minute. And they were talking about, okay, we're going to have somebody from Poland, somebody from Burma, somebody from Mexico. And, you know, politely over the phone, I said, you know, yeah, I work with a lot of immigrants and refugees. But, you know, if you need somebody, I would be happy to come and speak about Italy. And their response, which offends me still to this time, this happened over 10 years ago, was, (laughs) you know, you're not ethnic enough. Yeah, I get that. And so... (laughs) Then I really felt like an outsider because my heart and my connection and my most comfort is when I am around immigrants and refugees because mm-hmm. I feel like one of you, you know, it's, I'm part of your world. And I know I'm not, this was early enough that I wasn't really feeling part of the day-to-day American world like I maybe mm-hmm. do now. And so I felt very much like I didn't belong anywhere and there were not other Italians to talk to. That you know, you can tell I'm still emotional. Emotional. Well, and actually, I'm sorry that you experienced that, but I'm glad you mentioned that because what another thing that folks in general don't probably appreciate or understand about immigrants is that there are within the immigrant communities too some perceptions and misconceptions about what it means to be an immigrant or how you should be as an immigrant or even the struggles of you know why are you giving up on the culture of your ancestors and uh, you know you're adopting this culture and it's foreign to your culture and I view my navigation through this world as I take the best of all places that I visit or live in or interact with. And part of it was a lot of internal personal growth of not just holding on to the way that I grew up and saying that this is the only way I can see the world, which is, I think, a little more comfortable for for people just to fall back on how they grew up or where they grew up. Um, but to appreciate the experiences and, and move on. And sometimes that creates clash within your quote-unquote community. Again, back to the, um, the, you know, I may not be Arab enough to the Arab community or may not be Palestinian enough to the Palestinian community. And then when you're with the general immigrant, well, you know, you're this different category <laughs> of immigrants. So right, right. I fully understand that understand that. You mentioned also uh, that some of your work is spiritual. Uh, you did mention uh, or spiritually driven, mm-hmm. and you mentioned faith and church. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your faith and whether the faith that you uh, grew up with and understood in Italy has evolved into something different, strengthened, weakened, being in the United States. The way I have evolved in my faith and spiritual beliefs has been very much impacted by my travel experiences, my having been born with dual citizenship, my passion with international studies and international everything, in having encountered every on a daily basis 
people who have no faith, who have at all, who have uh, strong faith or all sorts of backgrounds. First of all, I think two beliefs that um, are not immediately connected by everybody to religious beliefs is one, I believe in love and kindness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that thing is um, a belief that the power of love and loving kindness exists and uh, can be referred to in many different religions. Love and loving kindness um, as the drive, as mm-hmm. this drive for success, drive for, and I don't mean success, economic success. I mean um, spiritual uh, prosperity and, and happiness. Yeah. I was raised in a Catholic country by Catholic parents, uh, in a country that where the church, for the most part, is the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Uh, the majority of people, over 90%, as I was growing up, was going to, you know, was attending Catholic, Catholic Mass. Church. My country of Italy had not been exposed to as much uh, diversity and immigration. I actually remember. Uh, seeing the first, I know this is going to sound very strange, uh, my very first personal caller uh, when mm. I was a young child from my balcony asking my dad for, who is this person coming from? Mm. And those were the early uh, street sellers coming up from uh, Senegal mostly. You know, my experience has been, <laughs> has evolved over time. And what, what, thing, uh, what I can say is that I don't see myself as belonging to only one faith okay. at this point in my life. And that is because I think that faith is affected or the profession in one particular religion is affected by your uh, life history. So if you happen to be born in a country that has, uh, is mostly Catholic, you mostly would profess that religion. But I, I've seen it. I've seen it enough that chance, luck opportunity, mm-hmm. fate, divine intervention, divine intervention, <laughs> make us have different experiences. So yeah, I could have been born in Seattle, Washington. Mm-hmm. I could have been born in India for what I know and uh, profess a different religion. So I cannot find truth in one particular religion for that matter. And I, I respect and I find joy in hearing of uh, spiritual beliefs more than religious beliefs uh, because I can connect to that. And I, like I said, it's mostly a joy. Now, from uh, my work that I've done with immigrants and refugees, uh, I know that religion plays a very important role Mm -hmm. in integration and in acculturation and people just feeling that comfort in the place where they are. So finding places of worship that reflect your culture or your beliefs, finding opportunities to profess religion freely is extremely important. Partly because I haven't had that experience. Like I said, there are not places where I could say the Mass in Italian, for instance. So do you you feel that a Catholic church here is a completely different experience than a Catholic church in Italy? Yeah, and I say this respectfully again with my friends who are from uh, the Italian, um, Italian immigrants. I do not personally find that experience to be comparable enough. Uh, Mm -hmm. So when I go to Italy, like I did this past time, a place where I feel at ease, at home, is my church of my home place. And so I went this past time with my husband and I said, just please experience this. Let's be here for just enough time. And the songs are the same songs that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Some of the people there are the same people <laughs> I grew up with. <laughs> that feels like, okay, I, I belong here. And, you know, a place of worship is not just about 
um, the the stories of the past or the legends of the past or the holy sacred texts that other people would feel compelled to believe in. It is for me, in my personal experience, a place where I'm safe, mm-hmm. in place where I can be quiet and I can quiet my mind. And gosh, that's so needed. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I mean, the, the idea of a quiet mind is something we don't enjoy <laughs> as much unless we, and I don't know if it's nostalgia about places we grew up or think, because I know that in the 24 years that I, since I've, since I've moved, a lot has changed. Uh, but I still can go back to the mosque around the corner from where I grew up and still feel the same sense that I felt when I was 15, 16, uh, being there. It's a feeling that I wouldn't get in any other mosque, whether even if it's in a predominantly Muslim country, I won't get the same sense as I would in the place where I grew up or the place that we call home. And if I may, the landscape that we have in Italy is the way I have experienced the landscape in Italy. It is very unique. Obviously, many people know the postcards and the big, um, you know, guidebooks to Italy. It is beautiful. And like you're describing the experience of having the smell of the country you're from, or even opening your mind to the vision of Mm -hmm. mountains in the Dolomites. It only happens, sometimes I only feel in a similar way when I listen to music here. When I go to a beautiful concert at the Philharmonic concert, or if I go to a museum, that experience of elevating my mind to something almost spiritual. It's funny you mentioned smell because that's been, I think, the strongest memory. Uh, you know, and sometimes just out of the blue, I'd be walking somewhere and I smell something, and I'm. It takes me back mm-hmm. thirty years ago, and I would you know, in, in a way, remember exactly where I was, you know, and it's, uh, I think scientifically, they, they say olfactory senses are the strongest memory that someone can develop. But yeah, I keep a jar of oregano <laughs> in my house and every once in a while. That's my, that's my little moment. <laughs> I, I want to ask a question. And if you don't feel comfortable with it, that's fine. Okay. Um, so you mentioned that when you were four or five years old and seeing someone uh, from a, from Senegal for the first time or someone who's dark-skinned and you asked your father about that. I'm interested in knowing how your father replied to that question or what did he say to yeah. you about this quote-unquote stranger? Yeah, well, he told me the truth. This was a person who was traveling okay. to uh, improve his economic conditions and he was selling products as uh, best he knew from his culture to sell. He just told me the truth and... It was very foreign, <laughs> yeah. and I've had to experience that, um, you know, gradually and over time. But I ask because I think that how we react as parents or adults mm-hmm. to children's questions about the unfamiliar or the, you know, the, the different or strange or other, quote-unquote, to what they grew up with is essential in how they grow up as adults in viewing difference. You know, part of a a big driver for this podcast is humanizing the label. And your dad did that for you when you were very young by humanizing the person that he's someone who's trying to, you know, get a better economic future or make a living. And 
he didn't label him or her for that matter. I don't remember what you said, but he didn't label that person as a label that stuck with you in a negative way. And I'm reminded by, you know, some of the discussions that we have around diversity and inclusion. One of the panelists that was with me, uh, he's in a wheelchair. And he said that uh, a big problem that he noticed is that sometimes a four or five year old in the supermarket, uh, you know, and they see them, they ask, mommy, daddy, what's wrong with this person? You know, the child learn, you know, exploring, curious about what he or she perceives as different. And he said the biggest mistake that he sees parents do is that they say, shush, we don't talk about mm-hmm. these things. As opposed to, he's like, I'd rather they come up to me and mm-hmm. ask and I explain to them, you know, mm-hmm. why I'm in a wheelchair and mm-hmm. how that, you know, presents challenges, but it doesn't make me incapable. And, you know, our perception about right. his disability, I think, is very that that lesson that he shared is is something that we can all learn from in how we perceive something or someone that is unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. And this is where we want to go with this podcast is I feel, and I, I, I want to hear your opinion on that and kind of wrap up with this, I feel that the biggest problem that we face in current American society is our inability to have the conversation, not knowing how to ask the question without offense, whether we self-censor, that we say, I don't want to offend somebody by asking them about where they're from or what their faith is or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then also to be able to answer the question without sounding defensive. Why are you asking me this? And what do you think of me and whatever? And how can we get to that level of conversation where we realize that we share so much that there's that we can become better by understanding by valuing uh, what everybody brings to the table now we do that with our children you do it with your with your kids I do it with mine uh, but for the adult who are all of a sudden facing I mean we know from statistics and census studies the increase in immigration rates the increase in diversity uh, there are some issues that might be embedded from early on in life and I always take give a person the benefit of the doubt when they ask me that question and engage in a conversation because I don't I might be their only person representative of that otherness to them that they don't know you know I don't want to miss out on that opportunity so I'm interested in your thoughts on that on how people can have this conversation or what advice would you give to someone who might be interested or who's weary about uh, a particular immigrant or immigration or refugee issue or status yeah so it's not an easy thing to do at all um one of the reasons why I am talking with you today or I didn't have to think twice about coming to the show with you today is that like I said before um, I have already had enough conversations with you I'm very comfortable and I I think there is a strong alignment of values with you but that's not always my experience so I myself experience some level of anxiety around this topic and I have pretty thick skin by now because I have had to speak on behalf of uh, immigrants and refugees as part of my professional work. And this means immigrants and refugees from all over the world. So mm-hmm. I've been the recipient of questions about people coming from any country or people of any color. And I always respond 
and that's my only advice I can think about, I always respond with a person-centered answer. So the first thing, including with uh, the individual who was here on a wheelchair, the first and best thing we can do is to acknowledge that whoever we're talking about, these individuals are persons, they're mm -hmm. people. <laughs> people who may have come from a different country, who people who have had a series of different um, experiences, um, people who have many commonalities. However, we until we talk to somebody, we don't know the experience. You know, for you and I, there is a connection on education level. We've had the opportunity to study. You mentioned your parents not at the same level. My parents are both college graduates. So the experience of an immigrant looks many, many, many different ways. Mm -hmm. So the acknowledging that these are individuals, that these are persons who have different experiences, various experiences. Uh, the use of the word uh, illegal, I have a problem with because that assumes that uh, individuals who are not documented are not here legally, which from the legal standpoint is not altogether true. It cannot be assumed. So that is a label that I was you know, try to stay away from any label, any characterization of individuals as, uh, you know, based on an assumption that we cannot verify tends to be untrue or incorrect. Mm -hmm. So the safer way to talk about immigrants and refugees, just refer to them as people who, you know, have come from different countries and they fall in many different categories. And categories are necessary. In uh, That's how we learn. Yep. That's how we make sense of the world. So some level of category is just essential for us to navigate the world since we, you know, we grew up as children. So I think that's, that's the most important thing. Just talk about uh, people as people. And then force yourself, if you haven't done so yet, to have the more, more experiences around diversity so that it becomes normal. In other words, you know, the best, one of the things I tend to do with my daughter was the talkative one, <laughs> when she asked, and she is, you know, asked me, about um, you know, individuals who are coming from other countries, individuals who speak Chinese, or person who may have been uh, physically you know, affected by an accident, we, or whatever their life story may be, I force myself, and it's not just forcing myself, but, I, but intentionally, that's a better word, I intentionally mm -hmm. communicate with her with uh, less and less uh, intonation of surprise. I just normalize it, and that's mm -hmm. my oh yeah, that, that person came from China. Isn't that cool, you know, or isn't that nice? Maybe we should ask her, you know, something about it. She had a, um, a classmate in uh, preschool who came from China and she couldn't speak English. And so my sister happened to live at that time in Shanghai. So we tried to speak to my sister. We did and tried to learn a few words to make this child maybe a little bit comfortable, like, hi, mm. how are you? And my name is Veronica, which is my daughter's name. Uh, the little things to normalize yeah. life and just, hey, take a step back. If you cannot feel at ease, maybe take a step back and be quiet and observe. That's all I can say. Do you have something that you would like for anybody who's listening out there? Do you have something that you would like to share with them from your personal experiences as an immigrant and as someone who works with immigrants? What would you like them to know? Like I said, I recognize that this is a, a tough topic. We are all at some level uncomfortable because this is touching our own sense of identity. So 
just just recognize that if you do talk to me about where I'm from, I may or may not always be in the best mood to talk about that that day <laughs> because maybe I miss my family or maybe somebody is uh, sick overseas and I'm not ready to share with a person I don't know well all of that. And so just just know that the topic is sensitive on both sides and um, just appreciate that. The I and Immigrant is a production of WBOI Studios in Fort Wayne and was created by Ahmed Abdelmajid. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and keep these conversations going. You can find us on Facebook or visit theiandimmigrant.com to see additional content and pictures of this season's guests. Today's interview was produced by me, Katie Anderson, and edited by Ben Clemmer. Thanks for listening. From WBOI, Fort Wayne.